Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dorsey Wright Podcast for Wednesday, May the 29th. I'm Jay Gragnani. And I'm Steve Raymond. And um, the month of May is almost over. Yeah, but summer is. has unofficially started after coming off of the Memorial Day uh, weekend, last weekend or this past weekend. And the temperatures here in Richmond are, I think, supposed to hit 96 degrees today. And we're not even into June yet. Yeah. What does that, what does that mean for us for the rest of the summer? Um, Historically, things go up and down. <laughs> uh, much like the market has yeah. gone has gone uh, up and down this year, and and more so down in the past month than it has gone up. And and really, for the first four months of the year, the markets have seemingly been pretty um, steady in terms of uh, of an upward bias through May, with the S and P hitting new all time highs at the very beginning of May, but since that point, it has been a, a very different story as we've seen a lot of volatility come back into the market, um, more so than, than we've seen um, really at any point in the course of this year. And when you step back and you look today from peak to trough, so the peak on the, on the chart of the S&P 500 in early May going back to 2950 to its low today, as we're filming this or recording this on May the 29th of about 27.80 on the chart, uh, it's about just shy of a 6% peak to trough move lower uh, in the S&P 500. And so, you know, that's kind of where we stand today. In the process, though, what we've seen in, in specifically as it relates to the S&P 500 uh, on its chart is it has violated a couple what what are deemed to be pretty key areas of, of near-term support on the chart, moving below that 2790 level, hitting 2780, and violating the uh, the, the March uh, lows, March pullback lows from earlier this year. And so, you know, that's certainly something to be cognizant of. As you saw, you know, coming into the month, the markets had had been uh, rather overbought on, on their weekly distribution have now moved back into oversold territories, but taking out a couple of near-term support levels. Um, it's certainly something to be cognizant of, though. But um, as we look at it today, uh, and looking specifically at the S&P 500, um, there, there are some other areas of support that we see on the chart. You know, Certainly, the long-term trend uh, is still positive for the markets, uh, uh, despite the near-term volatility we've seen. Yeah, uh, you know, taking out the 2,800-ish levels, you know, kind of expose other chart levels. And what I like to do, I look at, you know, point and figure charts. I look at, you know, like you said, the JG, the trend lines. I also take in other levels of the other types of charts around the world, mm. um, you know, made their way to spout off for, for various reasons, which are retracement levels and moving average levels and different things. Um, you know, one level that I think is the, the next one, if we, uh, unless we reverse up today because, you know, of news coming into the market will be about a twenty. You know, twenty-seven, twenty-five mm. is a level um, exposed on various uh, charts, not necessarily point and figure. Um, but then there's a variety of, of support levels. You know, below that, um, you know, that could be targets. Um, one that's bannered about a lot uh, on the media is twenty-six fifty. Um, and then you know we tend to go down. You know, seventy-five points at a time. At the, you know from there. You know, 2,600 even will be a, a level below that one. But I think right now, you know, the 2725, you know, might be a might be a target uh, to see that you know some you know some uh, uh, consolidation at um, you know so on and so forth. I, I will point out that that as we broke down, uh, 
on the S&P, as JG uh, noted, um, you know, the core uh, strength levels in the market, meaning our core percentile rank that we track daily, um, is, is, remains at 95 in the 95th percentile. Um, as I mentioned maybe in earlier videos or podcasts, you know, that this is a strong core PR market uh, where that really means in English that, you know, of all the assets around the world, the S&P 500 type stocks still hold the crown jewel of attention. Uh, so even though the S&P, as we just said, is moving lower in price, breaking down on some support levels, it still garners the, uh, the, the most important attention of sponsorship uh, globally. Uh, it ranks at the 95th percentile against all assets around the world. So uh, usually high core PR markets lend to the fact that you can have bull market corrections, um, uh, but what it also substantiates is that uh, they might be uh, you know, you know, quickly over with. Mm. And, and that there could be buying opportunities uh, closer at hand and further away at hand while that core uh, remains strong. So the core PR mark today is, 20, uh, is at the 95th percentile. On the other end of the football field is the money market percentile rank, which uh, at this point is at the 10th percentile or you know, percentile rank. Um, as JG pointed out, you know, as, the, you know, as, the, you know, as the equity comes down a little bit, the money market might strengthen. That's something that we have to, in a sense, uh, look at or, or monitor or in some, in, some say, in some cases brace for. Um, but right now, the money market percentile ranks at the 10th percentile. Now, what that tends to mean in English is that the money market is competing at low relative strength against all assets around the world, uh, meaning that many asset classes are functioning fine, uh, from fixed income to various alternatives to various balanced funds to, you know, the various mixes of assets are, are functioning uh, with some amount of liveliness, uh, meaning they're at play and, and worthy uh, to be at least scanned for an asset allocation. So at the moment, uh, you could say we're still in conditions where, uh, you know, any bull market correction, you know, may, may be over you know, sooner rather than later. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, one of the ways that we've kind of quantified that in the past is, is looking at where um, strength indicators, whether it be core percent rank, whether it be U.S. equities as an asset class within Dolly, and these periods of volatility as when maybe the, the bullish percents reverse down. So the, the New York Stock Exchange bullish percent reversed down a couple weeks ago, back on the 13th of May. And looking really historically at when that happens in strong markets, so when U.S. equities is one of the top two ranked asset classes in Dolly, which it still is today. It's still ranked number one. Um, it has been ranked number one consecutively for the past three years, since August of 2016. U.S. equities uh, retook, reclaimed that number one spot, has been there ever since then. And what happens to the market during those periods while the bullish percent is in O's? So bullish percent reverses down suggests a more defensive posture, suggests a, a bit more posture of wealth preservation as opposed to wealth uh, accumulation. Um, and, and that is kind of the period that we're in right now, a strong equity market, but uh, volatility or more defensive posture with respect um, to, to the equity side of the equation. And historically, what we've seen happen 
is during the strong bull market periods, during the, the strong leadership uh, periods of U.S. equities, reversals down uh, in the bullish percent, the, these more defensive types of positions, uh, as you mentioned, tend to be more shorter term in nature, short, short term lived. And they also don't tend to produce um, the, the big sell-offs that we've historically seen in the market. Um, now, this time we'll see, but historically, if you go back and you look um, over the past 20 years, when that has happened, so when the bullish percent has reversed down and Dolly has, has seen U.S. equities in the top two spots, the average, perf- average return for the S&P while it was a nose was about uh, up less than 2%, 1.8%. So by the time the bullish percent reversed back up, the, the indexes were, were in positive territory. On average, that tended to last for just a little over a month, about 45 days, I think, so about a month and a half. Um, so those are during the strong equity market period. So uh, the last two times that <coughs> happened, um, that that conventional wisdom um, flew completely in our faces. That happened in October of last year, and then again in December of last year, as the as the S and P returned, to, you know, a four percent loss and then a five percent loss back to back during those periods. But if you look at the body of work over the past twenty years, you know, you, you've seen periods where um, markets pull back and you get some volatility, certainly but you don't, haven't tended to get the big drawdowns in the market like you do when you see U.S. equities out of favor, when you get into more uh, bearish market type of configurations. Yeah, uh, and, and that's a great point. You know, the, the idea is we're, we're looking for those types of indications that uh, what I call tell us what kind of market type that we're most likely dealing with, and that gives us a little higher odds mm-hmm. to play with the, you know, the game plans that have been developed, the game plans that... Uh, JG's, um, you know, obviously sharing with you, you know, the, the idea is about uh, putting odds in our favor because uh, make no mistake, uh, you know, I haven't met a person yet that knew the future and could call, you know, which, you know, which, which swing at bat was which. Uh, but on average, you know, the odds are in our favor, especially if the U.S. equities are in control. And as I mentioned, the core percentile rank is high. Uh, as I've pointed out before, you know, these these measurements of high U.S. equity or high core PR um, do not do not protect against bull market corrections. So make no mistake that that it does not protect against uh, bull market corrections. However, it tends to give us some some footing as to how to handle the market type, and and then what the likelihood of a bear market would be, which would be much lower. Uh, so those are the kind of odds that we you know that we can take away from our our uh, what you would call. Uh, uh, you know, academic overview or, or our educated guess uh, or our game plan, um, and then, you know, roll, roll with it from there. Um, Non-U.S., no better. Uh, you know, the average emerging market fund scores at a 2.67. You know, it's a, you know, it's below three. It, you know, you, you could say on a contrarian play, maybe there's something we could do out there, but really the scores are too low to even step much weight on. Uh, as you may have perceived, uh, the countries around the world you know, their bond markets are struggling uh, to a great degree. There's a lot of uncertainty. If you think there's uncertainty in the U.S., try talking about uncertainty uncertainty in the non-U.S. And, you know, so they're coming looking for safe haven, probably buying our bonds, mm. which are putting our rates lower and bond prices higher. And and the, the point there is that, you know, bonds are functioning, even though maybe uh, aficionados... Uh, that, that you know the, the bond market gurus. Uh, uh, I say this in all in all favor. You know, but Bill Gross suggests the bond market would be 
problematic, uh, you know, going forward, let's say. But, you know, they're functioning perfectly here. They're functioning as asset allocation would wish them to, meaning, you know, bond prices improving, stock, you know, stock prices falling a little, you know, the balancing out of those things is asset allocation 101. And so far, folks, you could say things are functioning as we would hope they would. Um, but rates are going low. You know, some people are a little shocked at how rates, uh, low, low they may go. I, I don't think we're necessarily surprised here at all. But, you know, again, the rates will fluctuate, and I think the most important thing is is that, you know, when we make an asset allocation, we want different pieces to function differently and, and help help uh, support the whole effort, and I think that's what we have here uh, quite nicely. Um, what we haven't mentioned yet is that, you know, low volatility and, and, and the utilities are moving up in, in power a little bit. People that had bought the, let's say, like a, a, a DVOL or a, a SPLV or low vol S&P 500. I mean, those things are still functioning quite well. Um, I know a lot of people that still own those. I've talked to them um, even over the last uh, you know 15 days, um, and, and I think that those will continue to function nicely. Uh, I would at least uh, uh, forecast that in the short run, you know, will function well. And I think that you know uh, you could consider those things um, as JG intimated uh, earlier a few minutes. Um, keep in mind that there's always the next move. Like what's happening now is, is good to recap. Um, you got to get your portfolio in shape to you know overview how things are going, and then the next move is what. Mm. Um, and you know the odds are, you know historically that the next move will be a need to you know buy into more equity, uh, ramp up the relative risk, take advantage of lower prices, um, and then uh, you know kind of raise that risk level. Uh, you know, as, as prices start to move north again. That's, that's probably the best odds of what the next move might be. What we can't tell you is on what day and hour and when that will, you know, what? will Why not? occur. Come on, <laughs> right. come on, Steve. We can give you average. We haven't, we haven't figured out that indicator yet. Huh? Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the salon may go away till November. Folks, you know, are, are, have been out there, and I, I think that the seasonality is something that encapsulates uh, the long-term market cycles. You know, it's debatable, but I, I tend to suggest that, you know, the, the, the weak cycle that we're in is, you know, is weak for both U.S. and non-U.S. this year. Last year it was strong for U.S., but weak for non-U.S. You know, so somewhere the, the, the weak cycle, you know, it, you know takes it back. Um, but it always leads to the next opportunity, which is, you know, if there are low pr lower prices and so forth, how are you going to use that opportunity? And I think that's exactly, you know, what we're thinking here. Uh, you know, so somewhere, uh, maybe possibly, you know, in June, uh, you, know, you know, possibly, you, know, you never know. You have a, you have a news cycle and you have a, a, the ability to ignite the market so quickly with, you know, different things that, uh, you know, come from the branches of the government of the U.S. Um, where things can ignite quickly. But you could say that, you know, you know, short term, there could be some opportunities that are very beneficial mm -hmm. to consider. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things, too, that just historically, you go back and you look at the markets, and historically, on average, the, the markets have seen a 10% pullback every year. On average, once a year, you, you get that. And so to see a you know, 5 to 6% pullback in the market is certainly not something that's outside of the realm of possibilities of very normal uh, conditions, very normal movements um, within the market. Um, what I think you mentioned has been rather unnormal, or at least... Um, um, on uh, flying against conventional wisdom, really this year has been the interest rate story. I mean, you know, you look back in December 
and or, or even back in November of last year, and rates were sitting at the 10-year at 3.2, and here we are at 2.2, uh, 2.25 on the on the uh, 10-year rate. You're getting back to those levels of September of 2017, where they fell to 2.05 on the on the 10-year yield, and you know that's one. If you if you look at the chart, and that's where. Um, you know, you can utilize the charts. If you pull in TNX as a chart, you can pull up the 10-year rate. Uh, moved into a negative trend in December of last year um, amidst all of the market volatility around 2.8 and has continued to fall. What that has done is certainly helped out the fixed income piece of the, of the equation. Um, it also helped out utilities. You know, as you, you mentioned earlier, the, the falling rates, the, the, the flight to quality, uh, not only across asset classes, but within asset classes, as we've seen utilities as a sector move up to number two uh, out of the broad sectors in Dolly, only behind technology, with technology still uh, re remaining the number one ranked sector there. So um, certainly, you know, some, some things happening underneath the surface that uh, are, are worthy of paying attention to and, and certainly worth being aware of as you're looking at the charts. Um, to that end, you're looking at a, a, a TNX now that is uh, approaching that 100% oversold level. And those are, are um, based on the weekly distributions. Those are areas where you typically see some kind of near-term reversion to mean. So in this case, being so oversold, would not be surprised to see the near-term uh, near picture of interest rates uh, revert back towards mean or, or move higher in absolute price uh, here, here in the, in the you know, short term. But long-term trends are still down. When, yeah. when you look at the interest rate story. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a 2% 10-year level might be the floor that we, we may not see, but certainly if we did see it, I, th I would say that that, that uh, I tend to look at the TNX on a very long-term chart, and that tends to be as, uh, you know, kind of a good mark of, of, of it can't, you know, it shouldn't go past that on the low side. But as J.G. mentioned, you know, we may see it start to, you know, strengthen in the short term from anywhere around here, even though both our stories are very similar because we're very close to too flat. The... Um, a little bit more of a finer tuning on the asset class group scores is that yes, utilities is number one in that, uh, in that, in that view, real estate number four. Um, but mid growth and large growth are still hanging in there in slot two, three, meaning uh, we, we still see some, uh, some good grip there. Um, and and it's, it's good to see that, you know, that growth theme is, is still in play. It's not being swapped or supplanted necessarily by large value. Uh, however, low vol, uh, SPLV, um, would be a, a good contender, but large classic large value is not a contender, which is something that we're still keeping an eye on. But you know, I'd, I'd make that I'd make that claim. Small caps, however, are are starting to slip a little bit here, have been. Um, you know, it's easy to say, and I'd like to say it: the small growth is the leader of the small cap community. Its its score, though, just slipped below the score four very recently over the last two days. But in aggregate, if you say, what about all small cap, all small cap funds of any kind in the U.S., any style, valuable and growth, any management or pass, you know, passive index uh, plot, uh, any of those as an aggregate, uh, the score of the all small cap looks like it's going to slip below the score of three on today's action. Mm. Um, now, does that mean that big things happen when you, as soon as you slip below three? Not necessarily, but it, it, in context, um, you know, the small cap universe is, is not quite, you know, as good as we can get. I mean, we can do better, you know, sticking with large, you know, larger cap, larger growth, mid growth in general um, you know, is probably better play than, than getting too much weight on the, on the small cap. 
uh, issue for whatever reason. So, um, you know, you, what you do is you, you take the information that you have and you, 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 your, your end goal, I think, on a daily basis, weekly, monthly basis, is to say, I've reviewed, I re I've reviewed my total allocation and my total allocation is viable with components inside that allocation uh, that are doing the job that I want it to do. Um, and I, hopefully today we've, we've given some ideas of, you know, the value of fixed income, the value in, in the case of, uh, in this case, in our era of U.S. equity, mm -hmm. uh, the value of possibly larger cap equity, uh, you know, the value of some growth, and, and then there certainly are some value, uh, meaning intrinsic value to your allocation to some lower volatility pieces, you know, from time to time, and this may be one of those. Absolutely. So... Never a lack of things going on in the market. You know, the, the month of May historically has, has brought on with it a, a bout of increased volatility, and that's, um, you know, what we're experiencing so far this year. We'll see if that transitions and carries on into the, the, the uh, official summer months. Um, but you look at, a you know, in terms of volatility, you look at a, um, you know, most widely tracked volatility measure being the VIX. Uh, hits 1850 today. And um, you know it, it, it has been higher this year. It, it has been up, spiked up to 23 initially. So it's not like we're in a, a period where uh, volatility is really outside of the realm of, of what has been uh, historically um, a normal normal uh, type of pullback or condition in the market. So uh, as always, we'll we'll continue to uh, to monitor things. But before we we wrap up with the segment today, Steve, you had one. Other yeah, thing just you one quick say. note: FSM type models. They have, uh, you know, they will not just, you know, reallocate a whole allocation change just because we're, you know, crossing from May to June. Um, you know, so there won't be any allocation changes in the foreseeable, you know, months per se. Um, the MMPR 50 style of FSM model is theoretically uh, now on the table to possibly make a change uh, depending on how, you know, the market uh, movement against money markets and so forth foreseeably could change theoretically. And so an MMPR uh, 50 model, you know, could be likely to be on the board to monitor on the monthly, you know, end of every month. Um, the PR 4050 versions of the market are extremely unlikely to make any change whatsoever based on any of the data uh, that we see now coming from this sort of market volatility. So in other words, start to, start to you know, learn about the rules of the FSM models. Uh, you know, to you know, brace, you brace up with which versions that you're still, you know, adding money to, uh, new money to, or we're talking to clients about. And uh, again, the PR4050 style indicators are not uh, threatened of any change based on current market turbulence. Uh, the MMPR50 models, you know, they could if, if things exacerbate uh, from what we see from today. But at, as far as today's day, there, there's no activity to really uh, consider to trigger. But I thought I'd mention that to, you know, to spur you to come back to our website, check over the models. There's also, you know, Dolly indicators, Dolly uh, models that you may be following and, and all those things. And I think one good rule of thumb is whenever the market kind of moves around a little bit, it's a great time to come back and get re-familiar with, you know, kind of the rules, the regs, what's happening, uh, just so you feel like you're in touch. Yeah. Well, with that, as always, we certainly appreciate you joining us this week and look forward to talking to you next week. Mm -hmm.